We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. It's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code Dace. All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy to prepare food order today 888-457-3453 888-457-3453 or go online at preparewithcr.com that's preparewithcr.com build your emergency food supply for only $99 limit two units per caller 888-457-3453 or online at preparewithcr.com that's 888-457-3453 or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Thursday here on the Steve Dace show powered by conservative review it is the penultimate episode here on the salem radio network can't thank them enough the entire team at salem has been tremendous to us the last 15 months but alas jean-luc picard all good things must come to an end so crtv is calling us home and we will debut our new show on crtv beginning february the 27th You don't want to miss an episode. Use promo code DACE to get that subscription discount. That's D-E-A-C-E. And that, again, begins on February 27th. Tomorrow is our last show here on the Salem Radio Network. Former Congressman Joe Walsh will be taking over for us from there. So we wish him well. We love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Our good friend Dr. Michael Brown is going to join us talking about uh, where religious liberty truly stands uh, early on in the Trump administration. That's coming up here in about 15 minutes. But yesterday, I think I said I'm concerned a few times, right, about where we're at here with this presidency. Hush tones and all, yes. Yeah, so you know the way I roll. I, I have to find a way to win, 
I, I can't lose. I can't. Like, I, I'm the guy that rewinds the scene in Star Trek 2 over and over again when Kirk talks about he reprogrammed the Kobayashi Maru and says, I don't like to lose. That's me. I'm in. I don't like to lose. So today, I just want to start off with a brief pep talk. If I was sitting in the White House right now and I had an audience with the President of the United States, I want to begin tonight's show with what I would say. Is that okay with you guys? You betcha. It's your show. Okay. Mr. President, what in the Sam Hill is going on here? Remember when people like me were afraid you were going to be some kind of authoritarian? Now we're sitting here watching your entire presidency being undermined four weeks in by nameless leaks, feckless bureaucrats. Right now, pick up a piece of piece of paper and a pen and fire some people right now. Just fire them. I want wailing. I want gnashing of teeth. I want wide swaths of bureaucrats in unemployment lines. Because the scoreboard right now says Swamp 1, Trump 0. It's kind of 100 to 0 right now. You are getting undermined. You're dying a death by a thousand paper cuts to a bunch of people you should have fired in the early afternoon hours on January the 20th. Don't tell me how we replace them. This is Washington. There's always somebody in need of a job. And you want to be the one that hires them so they're loyal to you. So we're just going to go bowl in a china shop. The same exact media that is that is hysterical about everything you, that you're not doing will be just as hysterical about what you are doing. Except this time you're actually going to be doing what you were sent there to do. You were not sent there to assuage your ego. You were not sent there to have every rabbit trail, every every slight chased down. You're not a victim. You're the most powerful man in the world. Where is the alpha male? Where is the bull in a china shop? Where is the badass? You're tweeting this morning about how it's not fair to get these leaks. Are you serious? Is your name Donna? Pick up the pen right there. And just fire people. And maybe even fire some people you don't want to fire. Just because it feels good, you can rehire them later. You need to serve notice. There was supposed to be a new sheriff in town. Instead, this looks like every other attempt the Republicans tried to make to reform this place. But where's the persona that you didn't care about this? Where's the guy who takes a million dollar loan from his daddy and, tr- and and goes all in on his very first buy in Manhattan? All or nothing, double down. And has been doing that for the last 40 years. Where is this man? Where is he? And yeah, you have had failures. You go all in every hand. You're not always going to win. But where? what is this timidness? What is this squeamishness? Who is this person sitting here in the White House? Who is this? What is this intrigue between Steve Bannon and Reince Priebus and leaks and all this stuff? You bring all those people in here right now. And you tell them all 
I will make you wish your daddy wore a condom that night. Unless you shut your hole and you know your role and you do your damn job. And if that's not good enough for you, I will find people that will because I'm the president now. And everybody wants to work here. And if the next people I hire don't do the job, I'll just go get new people after that. Hell, most Americans think you can get better politicians by picking blind names out of a phone book than all y'all anyway. So I got nothing to lose by firing you. What are you doing? This isn't even about incompetence now. I'm questioning your manhood, frankly. Just sitting here taking it? Seriously, dude. I mean, forget forget the oath of office you took. This is this is like a dude code violation came to the White House. How are you even looking at yourself in the mirror? Yeah, I thought low energy Jeb dropped out of the race a long time ago. No question. He's, just, he's this, sitting this there in the White pathetic. House, apparently. This is pathetic. Pathetic. How many ham and egger Republicans could we get to stand here and be taking it from? What the hell's the intelligence community? You're losing arguments to people that we aren't even sure exists. Why? It's so bad, People are smart people are writing columns, you need Chris Christie. And I think we both know, whenever Chris Christie is the answer, it's the wrong one. That's where we are. Is this what you did for a year and a half? You took all those shots, all those slings and arrows, all those attack ads... So that you would then get into the office and pull up rather than hitting the gas. So now you're just going to let stuff happen to you? you? You remind me of when George W. Bush earned the name The Shrub sitting there for two years watching this happen every day. Where is your personality? You're unsure of yourself. You're off your game. Your advisors are a mishmash of variant worldviews. Your messengers, the one good one you have, her credibility may be shot. The rest of them are awful. You are the president of these United States. You can't hire better talent than Sean Spicer. And don't look at me and tell me, well, Ryan's, fire Ryan's too. Fire them all. Start over if you have to. You don't owe Reince Priebus or Steve Bannon or any of these jamokes anything. They owe you. They were jokes. Jokes of political, irrelevant political factions before you showed up. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I don't believe in authoritarianism, but but you, I also don't believe in abrogating the authority that you were given either. That's a false choice. It's a false choice between being a mini wannabe dictator and being a pushover. How about we just start with being a man? Seriously. If you were wearing a cologne here in the Oval Office, it'd be titled Beta. I can smell the Beta. This is pathetic. 
get out of your bathrobe, stop watching the shows, do the damn job the American people elected you to do, which is what? Drain the swamp. Make them bleed. Make this place hurt the way they've made the American people hurt for the last couple of decades. Be their instrument of populist judgment against these elites. Be Donald Trump. What is this? What what is this? What is this? Is this your Lindsey Graham impersonation? This is pathetic. Do your job or get out. Interesting story today from CBN. David Brody is the reporter there. A good reporter. Known David for several years. He's been a guest on our show several times. He's done uh, reporting on our show and its influence in the presidential process. And uh, he rose to some level of fame yesterday because I think he had the very first question, uh, didn't he, in the Trump Netanyahu uh, press conference, didn't David Brody, I think, get the first question, and the media just kind of lost their minds that this guy would get the first question, and Katie over at Town Hall, Katie Pavlich, got the second question, and then Jim Acosta, the fix is in, okay, um, which... That's the most insane thing ever I, uttered. I, I, I know, <laughs> the level of sanctimony to even say something like that on the air, uh, I mean, self-important much, but I bring up David's name because he has a story today. Uh, saying that it is expected Attorney General Sessions is going to turn the Justice Department into essentially a haven for protection and promotion of religious freedom. And if that's true, I think we all know, well documented, the reservations I have with Donald Trump as President of the United States. If that turns out to be true, though, I, I can make an argument that would be worth electing him unto itself. Dr. Michael Brown, our friend, uh, wrote a story about this recently over at the stream about some of the slow movement to be kind that we have seen so far on the religious liberty front with the Trump administration. We want to welcome him back to the show. Michael, how are you, brother? Doing great, Steve. Always great to be on the air with you. So uh, what's your read of David Brody's story today of what Jeff Sessions may end up doing with the Justice Department as essentially a promoter and protector of the First Amendment? And what kind of benefit that could be for believers uh, across the country? Yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating scene to unfold. On the one hand, uh, candidate Trump was very, very clear about religious liberties, never backed down from it. And I genuinely believe that he wants to be a champion of Christians, that he, he has no idea why we haven't stood up together and pushed back against bullying and things like that. So fundamentally, I believe that's important to him. He wants to see it happen. You would certainly expect nothing less from Attorney General Sessions already uh, within the last few days. Attorney General Sessions made clear that the, the Department of Justice would not be pushing back against the states that pushed back against the Department of Justice pushing transgender rights in our schools. So that was positive. 
the, the concern is that candidate Trump and now President Trump seems to genuinely want to be a champion of, quote, LGBT rights as well. And I think on the one hand, he's well-meaning. He doesn't want a Muslim to come in and kill gays. He's probably had gay friends and associates over the years and thinks, hey, why should they be oppressed? But when he's been pressed on the issue of, okay, where do you stand? Let's say there's a conflict between religious rights and gay rights. Where do you stand? He either doesn't have an answer or he's not giving the answer. So last week there was bad news because a bill uh, or, or a bill was circulating that, that was getting momentum and conservatives were talking about it that would basically have President Trump sign something that would undo a lot of the special protections that Barack Obama signed into law for federal employees, LGBT, quote, rights. And the word is that as that was circulating, that Ivanka and Jared Kushner pushed back the other way. And instead, President Trump signed something saying we're going to leave intact all those federal rights that that Obama signed. So that's the concern. And then Mike Pence gets on national TV with George Stephanopoulos and uses some of the, the gay talking point language. There's not going to be prejudice in the heart of this patriot. It has nothing to do with prejudice. To say that a man shouldn't go in a ladies' room is not prejudice. To say that sexual orientation is not the same as skin color is not prejudice. So I, here, here's my hope. My hope is that a conflict will come, and President Trump will learn that he cannot appease gay activists, that even after he, he signed this, this uh, order last week or, or made the statement last week, gay activists were still saying, we don't trust him, he's hostile, he's our enemy. So my hope is that he will see that he cannot appease the radical left and that he must stand with those who help vote him into office and that hopefully Christian values will become stronger in his life. Right now, it's, you don't know what to expect. It's almost as, I don't think he's talking out of both sides of his mouth as much as trying to put forward two simultaneous things that cannot work. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he's talking out of both sides of his mouth at all. I mean, what you just described, his moral confusion on the matter, Michael, is frankly where many Americans stand. They, they think that these things can peacefully coexist uh, until they run smack dab into stories like what happened in North Carolina, the threats that are happening with Texas now and Baker's florist, et cetera. And they realize that they cannot. And uh, they're, they're, the reality is most of Americans, I think, including, I think, our president, want to believe they can live in an America where they don't have to make this choice. And the reality is the other side is going to push their issue to the point that they have to make that choice eventually. Yeah, look, it's in the book of Esther, Haman was highly exalted by the king of Persia. And everyone had to bow down to him. But a Jew named Mordecai wouldn't bow. And rather than Haman say, hey, look, I've got the whole society bowing to me. Who cares about this guy, Mordecai? No, he was obsessed with Mordecai. And, and I see that same tendency. I'm not comparing gay activists to Haman who wanted to slaughter the Jews. But I'm saying it's the same tendency that those who came out of the closet won't be satisfied until basically we're silenced, we're put in the closet. Steve, you remember when we were told by gay activists, look, we're not trying to influence what you teach or believe or your rights. You believe this is sinful. You don't recognize our marriage is fine. We just want the right to do this. Mm-hmm. But no sooner does that happen, they turn around and say, you're going you're gonna to recognize our rights or else. And there's this extraordinary hypocrisy that we see that the left boycotting anything having to do with Trump, left and right, and celebrating it. Death threats for people that are going to participate in the inauguration. Calls for boycotts of celebrities participating in the inauguration. That's all fine and good for the left to do that. Stores to drop things having to do with Ivanka Trump. and The designers saying we're not going to 
to design anything for Melania Trump. Fine and good. That's their right. And then you have a 74-year-old grandmother who's a florist who served a gay customer for years. When he comes in saying that, that he wants flowers for his gay wedding, she says, I can't do that, takes him by the hand, and then continues to talk to him about who's going to walk you down the aisle or else, because it's an old friend. The attorney general finds out about it, and he's trying to sue her, not just out of business, but take everything she has. In fact, there's a major ruling on an appeal to that today. So this has never been a matter of live and let live, and it won't be a matter of live and let live. And that's what this administration needs to wake up to. I, I sent a letter through a colleague, a friend of, of the vice president, urging him, remember what happened in Indiana. Remember when you caved in in Indiana, you passed the religious freedom uh, bill there, the RIFRA bill, mirroring the federal bill, immediately came under massive pressure. Everybody from Walmart to Craigslist to you name it, NCAA, Apple, coming against him. He caved immediately. And then within a year, gay activists were saying, that's not enough. You have to go further. So there must be some backbone here. You treat everybody with respect. And if your neighbor, you got a lesbian couple, their neighbors, they go away, get the mail for them and cut their lawn for them. Be civil towards everyone. That's not the issue. But to force religious people, conservatives, to honor, uh, submit to, respect uh, gay relationships and say, if you don't celebrate it, if you don't celebrate transgenderism in the schools, you're going to be penalized. That has to stop. And hopefully this is a big step in the right direction with uh, Attorney General Sessions. We shall see. Talking with Dr. Michael Brown about where we stand truly in this new era of the Trump administration with religious liberty. And I think Michael said a couple of things that I, I, I think require a larger explanation. Uh, why aren't these things compatible? What, why does the other side push this? What's the end game? I want to talk about that here when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. Wake up, America, before it's too late. The Steve Day Show. Back here with Dr. Michael Brown. He's got a story up at the stream, an appeal to the president and vice president to reconsider their strategy as it pertains to religious freedom. Stream.org is the website where you can read this. Case in point of, of, of how these things just aren't uh, can't be simultaneously accommodated, the order from President Obama that, that he has uh, sustained, my understanding from that order, is that it doesn't just provide equal protections to people uh, that are living in what uh, the Bible calls sexual sin, but it forbids those of us who don't want to acknowledge it from becoming government contractors, having certain access to government business, things of that nature. And so here's Mike, it, it does that by extension. And so here's Mike Pence on national TV two weeks ago saying there's no discrimination in, or, or in the heart of the patriot, and yet this executive order that the president sustained from the, his predecessor discriminates nonetheless, Michael. Oh, yeah, it's, it's massive. It's massive discrimination. There's no question about it. It is making an actual statement, and it is penalizing people, not just for religious beliefs. We're not just talking, say, about a Jehovah's Witness who has this obscure belief based on a misinterpretation of Scripture that they can't get a blood transfusion. That's between them and God and the consequences of that that they carry. That's between them and God. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what all of the major religions have always held regarding homosexual practice. We're talking about what the world has always held regarding homosexual practice 
not being bona fide marriages. We're talking about what America's always held to. We're talking about what the majority religion in America has always held to. We're talking about what the Bibles that Donald Trump swore in have, have held to in unambiguous terms. And now you're going to throw that all out because someone identifies as gay. Oh, and you're going to throw that all out because a man identifies as a woman and wants to use a lady's restroom. If that's not discrimination, then nothing is discrimination. And there's a case that was just settled favorably in, in Georgia where Dr. Eric Walsh, who was a leading doctor, fought AIDS, did a lot of compassionate work for minorities and things like that. He gets hired for a major health position in the state of Georgia, and they find out that in his preaching in the Seventh-day Adventist as a lay preacher – that he preached what the Bible says about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. What a horror. So he gets fired before he even starts on the job. He just got a settlement for a couple hundred thousand plus dollars, and it's a statement being sent to the, to the state. You cannot discriminate against people's deeply held religious beliefs, especially when they are this fundamental. And on a certain level, we're willing to say live and let live, meaning if a gay couple wanted to go to a gay church and get a blessing ceremony and they were considered husband and husband or wife and wife and they wanted to do that, we're not invading their homes. We're not, we're not trying to spy on them. We're not telling them what they can and can't do when they hang out at the gay bar. If they're not breaking the law, that's between them and God. But it now gets imposed on everyone else. And I realized over uh, 10 years ago when I started to get burdened about these issues that we could not both be out and proud simultaneously, that the inevitable conflict would come. And hence, LGBT activism for years now has been the principal threat to, re- to freedom of religion, speech, and conscience in America. And final thing, the, I think we should provide our audience the reason why this is. And it is because the element of, 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 of the politicization, uh, politicization of this lifestyle that you're describing, this particular strand of it, the goal here is to get affirmation from the state that they know they cannot get from God. And so I will get it from the state instead. And if you don't want to care, even if you don't even care what I do, I'm going to use that to make you care. You will validate me. You will change everything you are about in order to validate me. This is the game plan from after the ball, and it's just playing itself out. And that has been that has been really the end game, to get validation from the state uh, for the way that they think they, they, they have to live, that they cannot control, that they can't get from their creator. And that's why there's no negotiating here. Yeah, and, and let's also remember that from the early days of the major move of gay activism beginning in the late 1960s, there were, there were two considered enemies to gay activism, the psychology profession and the church. You, you can go to a gay church today and you'll see tracks there that say, not a sickness, not a sin. So the first thing that had to be overcome was the psychiatric, psychological world that had pathologized homosexuality and said it was like schizophrenia, it was a disorder, There was something wrong with it. So there was aggressive movement very quickly. The American Psychiatric Association changed its views in 73. The others followed suit afterwards saying this is not a disorder. So there's only been one major obstacle since then. We're talking over 40 years now. That's the church. The views of the church must be overcome. That's stigmatized homosexual practice. That's the only thing standing between that and, quote, full validation. So as long as Mordecai doesn't bow in that sense, as long as we can preach what we preach from our pulpits, 
talk about it on the air, refuse to marry gay couples out of conscience before God, then that full validation isn't there. And therefore, we will be targeted as the enemy. Well said. Dr. Michael Brown, always good to talk to you, brother. God bless. Take care, okay? God bless. Thanks. Bye. All right. We'll come back, have some reaction to what we just heard in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. For a written transcript of this show, start writing really fast. Right now, Steve Dace. See, that's what we try to do on our show that others don't, and maybe it's because it's not smart to do this. But where you get in trouble in life or in our line of work is not so much answering the what question or even the how question. Sometimes you get in trouble answering the who question. But where you always get in trouble is answering the why. Why is where the rubber meets the road because that's where we really get into worldviews. There are plenty of people who are same-sex attracted who are not interested in almost any of the things we're talking about and probably just want to live the way Dr. Brown was just articulating. But they're not the ones that are driving the train here. They're not the ones driving the bus. They're not the ones that are the political grist for the mill. They're not the most powerful political constituency in one of our two major parties at the moment. And what is driving that constituency, what is driving them, is an inherent need to be validated by a force greater than themselves. To be told, it is okay to live the way contrary to the way God made me. I'm okay just the way I am. Just as you heard Michael say, it's not a pathology, it's not a sickness, and it's certainly not a sin. I'm okay. And if I cannot get God to validate me, I will get the next most powerful force on earth, gentlemen, to do it for me. And that is what? Government. Government will do it. And then once government validates me, they're going to make all of you validate me as well. And that's why they have no problem being exposed as liars and frauds when they told us 10, 15 years ago, hey, you know, it'll be your business. How's my gay marriage impact your marriage? All the other propaganda, that's all now a lie. Now when you point out to them it's a lie, they'll say, well, you're a bigot anyway, so you don't deserve the truth. You're a bigot anyway, so you don't deserve, you don't deserve rights. This is the same identity politic we've seen on race, we've seen on gender, where it's not about equality, it's about getting even. It's about getting over. But the difference here is, when someone falls into a, to a, to an identity politic on gender or on race, that's, that's not an imposition on the soul, the way it does when they get into something on their gender and sexuality. Because now you are literally saying, I am contrary to the way I was made. I wasn't made this way. I was made the way I think I am. Not the way some higher power formed me and and knit me in my mother's womb. And that's going to add a layer of emotionalism that even even, uh, gender and race can't touch upon when we start getting in to our own sexuality and our own the essence of our own identity and that's what's driving the train here gents 
it, it's it's difficult for me, and I, I've talked about this before, I believe, that uh, sometimes because what you were saying about the the most powerful subgroup in any either of the two or power, powerful political constituency in any of the uh, major two parties in the United States, sometimes it's hard for me to have the motivation when I confront these issues of compassion and love because that really should be our motivation. But it's not the love that you hear preached at the seeker-friendly churches. I mean, this is the love that, um, uh, as Proverbs 27.5 says, open rebuke is better than secret love. That that doesn't mean that the rebuke is mean-spirited or anything like that. It just means that when we confront these types of issues, this is the type of position that we should have. Our motivation should be love for our neighbor, but we should also be bold and um, bold and wise as serp- serpents, harmless of, as doves. That's what I was going to say. You must be wise as serpents. I can't remember the way Michael Brown put it, but he basically said, no detente is possible with these people. It is not a coincidence that as soon as this uh, marriage thing was... uh quote-unquote, decided by the Supreme Courts. We were banding about the notions of what a bathroom means. And this is going to only happen faster and faster if we lose this No, I mean, when I first started doing this this show 11 years ago, I used to make the point, we used to debate, because the marriage issue was hot right then. It was going, all these states were having referendums. We debated it all the time. You guys may have heard those shows. Mm-hmm. I used to bring activists from the other side on, and I'd point out, what you're really saying is, let, let's just cut to the chase, get rid of the propaganda. What you're really saying is gender's irrelevant. People are not made male and female. That's really what you're saying. No, 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 no. no. Slippery slope, you're nuts. And now here we are, 11 years later, right. and the that's... NFL and, is and they're admitting that's, yeah, they're admitting, The NFL. That's exactly what they've been really saying all along, Todd. Yeah. So, again, you must you must fight this. There, There is no choice. You will either win or you will be run over. Now, that, that's it. There is a da- they have a danger of overreach like like any yes. like our side does. And you know, I saw an interview and, and sometimes, you know, Fox finds these people that they like to just put up as proxies for mm-hmm. different victim groups. You're not sure if they're legit or not, you know. Really? Let's just be honest. Sometimes they put people up there of different race or things of that nature, and you don't know if they're if they're Fox News conservatives from, you know, traditionally leftist demographics or if they're real conservatives. You know what I'm trying to say? Yep. We don't know. But they had, you know, Tucker Carlson, I saw this clip. He had a gentleman on just the other day who's same-sex attracting. He's like, this has just gone too far. It's way overboard. And, and so I think there are plenty of people out there that struggle with same-sex attraction, or maybe don't struggle with it. They're perfectly fine with their same-sex attraction, but think that this is setting a dangerous precedent. One of the most fascinating things I've covered in my career was a few years ago, watching Andrew Sullivan, who's like the Benjamin Franklin of the modern rainbow jihad, getting attacked by his own followers. Because he thought what happened to the founder of Mozilla back in, what was that, 2013, 2014? Right. Mm-hmm. He thought that was way over the top and a dangerous witch hunt precedent to set that could be used against his view, his viewpoints should the other side win the day in the future. And for pointing out any level of equilibrium at all, at all, he was being attacked by his own and comment section. That's my point. Yes. Why? Because what we're describing here, the people outside of Lot's house at Sodom were not the very first people ever same-sex attracted, guys. They weren't the very first people to ever violate God's law on human sexuality. So why did they get the smiting? Because it was an over-the-top level of rebellion.
It was this notion that now the entire culture has to become emaciated in my sin and to validate it. And nothing is safe. Even people that are peacefully passing through don't require, don't receive hospitality, but now have to be ingrained, indoctrinated into my sin. That was the unruly crowd outside of Lot's house. And that's the political manifestation of what we are dealing with here today. That's what Andrew Sullivan ran into a few years ago in his own comment section. The mob outside of Lot's house that night. Listening to Steve Dace. If it's true and you still don't like it, that's a you problem. You're listening to Steve Dace. You know, I'm reminded not the last Iowa caucus cycle, but in 2012. We used to have this clip. I don't know if we still do. I'll have to go back in the archives and find it and uh, see if we still have it. But uh, uh, before the 2012 Iowa caucuses, Dutch National Television came out here to fo- f- do a feature on our show and uh, the role that it plays in uh, the presidential election. And they wanted to do a pre-interview with me before the show. And so the host, um, in a very thick Dutch accent, is asking me a lot of you know rapid-fire questions. And one of the questions he asked me was about gays in the military. And my answer to him was, I think every able-bodied male and female that can uh, pass the physical requirements of active duty and live according to the uniformed code of military justice with honor should be willing to serve their country voluntarily if they so desire. That silence you just heard? was the silence and reaction I got from him. And he had this puzzled look on his face, and he sat there for a few seconds, and he asked me again, well, what about gays in the military? I simply repeated my answer. I think every able-bodied male and female that has a desire to serve their country voluntarily and can meet the physical requirements and live according to the honor of the Uniform Code of Military Justice ought to be able to do so. Shaking his head, didn't understand where I was coming from. He goes, What about gays in the military? Asked me a third time. And finally I looked at him and said, I only, I only know of two kinds of people. There are men and there are women. If you have discovered a third variation of the species heretofore not known, I would call a patent office because you are about to be a very wealthy man. That being said, I will repeat my answer. All able-bodied men and women who voluntarily desire to serve their country and can meet the physical requirements and live according to the honor of the Uniformed Code of Military Justice should be free to do so. And that's the level of indoctrination that we are up against. Here's the problem, though. 97% or more of the people on our side simply either lack the worldview or the temerity to stand up to it. I wasn't nasty to him. I wasn't angry with him. I was very gracious and polite. I spoke just with the same tone that I'm speaking with now. I wasn't snarky or anything. And it's not a particularly complicated argument. No. You know, not in the weeds at all. No. But, but, but one of the reasons we are losing this argument is because too many of our own people feel the need to go from empathy to sympathy. And so we, start, we become sympathizers. We use the language that is used against us. And once you start verbalizing that out into the uh, – it's, it's not ephemeral language anymore. You make it you, – you solidify it. Don't use the other side's language. Why do they use that language? Because that's what frames their argument. 
So if that language, if they, if they think that's the language that frames their argument, why would you want to help your opponents frame their arguments for themselves? I even did this with Michael's title. The title of his piece is not an appeal to the president and vice president to reconsider their religious freedom strategy. I changed the title here on the air. It's actually an appeal to the president and vice president to reconsider their LGBT strategy. See what I did there? I don't accept the language on any level ever. You're listening to Steve Dace. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Dace Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, it's our penultimate episode before we move full-time to CRTV, beginning February the 27th. Use promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E. You'll get every episode of our new show, as well as uh, Mark Levin, Mark Stein, Michelle Malkin, and Stephen Crowder as well. CRTV.com, promo code DACE. Ben Shapiro joins us now from The Daily Wire. You can check out his work, uh, which is outstanding, uh, if I do say so myself, at uh, dailywire.com. Ben, it's good to have you back on the show, brother. How are you? Hey, doing well. How are you? Ben, I'll be doing better if you could tell me what in this Sam Hill is going on in this White House. And I I know the media, all that stuff, that is all baked into the cake. But, you know, I'm old enough to remember when we were afraid this guy was going to be an authoritarian, and now it's like he's a pushover, just allowing himself to be undone by bureaucratic swamps and leakers and everything else. Where's the alpha male, Ben? Um, Well, I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm honestly confused, as you are, as to what is going on here. I don't know that Flynn actually did anything wrong. Trump is right now doing a press conference where he confirms that he asked Flynn for his resignation. It's all all very confusing. It doesn't doesn't make up. It doesn't, none of it makes sense. I mean, Trump has, has been saying over the past 48 hours that everything is fake news made up by Democrats and the media, but he's the one who fired Flynn. So what is up with that? Like, I would buy it if I was the deep state was out to get Flynn routine. I, I sort of do buy that. I, I buy the, the idea the media is out to get Trump. I buy that, too. But again, Trump's the guy with his finger on the trigger. If Trump's the one who decides to fire Flynn, he's the one who has to fire Flynn. So we're not getting the whole story. It, it, it just seems very confused and chaotic. Um, I thought the first two weeks of the Trump administration had some really good policy, and mm-hmm. the last two weeks have been really chaotic. I think the only thing that's a saving grace this week was his meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu, which seemed like that was the best Trump I'd seen since, since he nominated Gorsuch. But other than, you know, it's, it's been very confused and confusing. Trump seems very tired. He seems like he feels put upon. And um, it's, you know, none of this is, is supremely reassuring. We're talking about fatigue, lack of focus, tiring. It's day 27, Ben. It's day 27. There's only something like, what, 1,337 or something of these to go, brother. That's it, you know? It's day 27. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I think that there, there's two ways to see this. One is Trump is, is doing what he did a lot during the campaign. Maybe he's cleaning house. Maybe he's going to relaunch with something better. Maybe he's seeing who works, who doesn't, and getting rid of the, the chaff and keeping the wheat. Or it's possible that this chaotic style is just going to continue. We're going to see the sort of turnover. We're going to see these sorts of random issues crop up. We're going to see a lot of 
you know, paranoia about people out to get him. Um, again, I don't think that just just because you're paranoid means not out to get you, but it does mean that it's not. It doesn't make for for a very good governing style. So, it's uh, again, I think there's a lot to be worried about. There's you, you sort of hope and pray that Trump gets this thing back on track. And also, I just my my biggest question is where the hell's Congress? What exactly is the Republican Congress doing this whole time? They're just sitting around twiddling their thumbs, waiting for Trump to either lead or fall. And you know, you're you're allowed to pass legislation, you know. You're allowed to, to get a meeting on the books of President Trump, put together some legislation and pass it. We're a month in. We haven't seen a single major piece of legislation from this Congress. I'm glad you said that because I pointed this out on the show last night. I'm getting to the point now that I'm I'm sympathetic to, to Trump. I mean, he has his weaknesses. We all know this. But, you know, it's the old Budweiser commercials when we were kids. Leon can't do everything. I mean, Congress was there four weeks before, almost four weeks before he got inaugurated. Why why don't they have meaningful regulatory tax legislation, Obamacare repeal on his desk so he can do things that actually help the American people and get out of this reality show media cacophony that seems to be perpetual at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's, it, we're going to need to get out of this cycle. It's a very difficult cycle. It's a cycle that doesn't seem to be um, doing a lot for the um, for the confidence of the American people. So it, I, I really, again, disciplined Trump is not bad Trump, but right now we're not seeing disciplined Trump, and that's a problem. I think Ben, the number one issue he has politically is he has an over overbearing personality. It, it, and you, it, you can get fatigued. It's everywhere. It, he is dominating pop culture, everything the likes of which we've never seen. He's like a political Max Hedrum, and he's on in every screen. And that's why I think who his messengers are is key. That he There's got to be other people that go up there that we're just not seeing his face, his grill all the time. And you look at who their proxies are. I think he's got one good one. I think her credibility is probably shot in Kellyanne Conway. The when they And I can see why she's sticking around. I mean, Kellyanne doesn't need employees. She doesn't need clients. She already made her bones before Trump came along. She probably watched that Stephen Miller's performance over the weekend and thought, hot damn, if that's the B team, I got to stick around and get embarrassed some more because there's nobody left after I walk out of here. He's got to get better messaging talent, Ben. Has to. I mean, I I totally agree. But again, I'm not sure how much the talent matters if if what you're defending is is bizarre world. Katrina Pearson looks like Katrina Pearson because Katrina Pearson is Katrina Pearson. But Kellyanne Conway is not an untalented person. And she's looking, and she's looking untalented up there. Sean Spencer is a guy doing this in his entire career, and he's looking like a hack. So, at a certain point, you have to wonder: is it, is it the messengers or is it the message that's the problem here? And especially when you're getting conflicting messages, right? I mean, at the very least, about the the Flynn story, is that General Flynn was not communicating with other members of the administration. So they're going out there and they're saying things that are patently untrue, and Flynn knows they're untrue, and presumably Trump knows they're untrue. And no one seems to care until the New York Times cracks down on it. So I I can't blame the spokespeople too much when their job is to go out there and defend chaos. Is he capable? I'm glad you said that, because that's another point that I raised earlier this week on the show, too. Better talent is available, but he has to give them permission to draw a moat between his personal meanderings and public policy. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Yeah, that's definitely true. When, 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 when Sean Spicer's asked about Nordstrom's, he needs permission to say. You can't blame a father for defending his daughter, and President Trump, I'm sure, would be happy to tell you his personal feelings about this at his next press gathering. But here in the official White House press gathering, each day we talk about issues and policies that are germane to the everyday American. If he doesn't give him permission to do that, then the talent pool is going to be very shallow. Yeah, I agree. I think that if the idea here is that 
the people you hire are, are required to now go out and defer every silly tweet, then who in the world would sign up for that job voluntarily and doesn't have a bit of a screw loose? I mean, I guess if you're a careerist and that's all you care about is, is being in the White House for a short period of time, then you're okay with going out there and defending things that he tweets that are just asinine. Today, he, he did a press conference in which he claimed, again, that he has the biggest electoral landslide since Reagan, which is just patently untrue. I mean, he, not only in the popular vote is it untrue, he has the, the worst loss for winner the, since the 19th century. But it, it's patently, but in terms of the electoral vote, it's, it's patently untrue. George W. Bush, I think, won more electoral votes. The, the, the Barack Obama certainly won more votes. Uh, Bill, Bill Clinton twice, I believe, won more electoral votes. So, you know, the, the idea that, that this is some sort of grand electoral vote victory, again, he's, he's, Trump says things that are not super important. But if the mandate is that you defend every super not important things that he says, then it's going to make it look kind of silly at the end of the day. The biggest worry of all is everything that you just said, Ben, we said the entire campaign, and something that I have pointed out to our audience here on a regular basis is, is I've been involved in politics on a front row level as an analyst and an activist for a decade now, and I've never known anybody, whether it was state legislature or president, I've never known anybody who, when they got elected, behaved differently after they were elected than they did while they campaigned. We better hope that's not true in this case. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Listen, the, the whole idea behind electing Trump was that if you, you're going to get Pence. If you elect Trump, you're going to get a Republican Congress. If you elect Trump, you're going to get good policy. Okay, well, that better come through. Because if, if you elected Trump and all you get is Trump doing this kind of stuff, then it's not going to be great. And again, I think he wants him to be successful. Like, I didn't vote for either of these two candidates. I want to see Trump defy all of my expectations and actually be a good president that does a lot of things that I like. As do I. But. He's not going to be able to do this miasma of scandal and, and chaos that's, that's hovering around him all the time. I agree. In fact, whether we voted for him or not, the reality is he is seen as the primary vehicle for our value system now. So if he is a failure, on some level there will be collateral damage for the rest of conservatives going forward. It's just a matter in an argument to the extent of which that is. And that's what I'm concerned about. I mean, the American people have put up with a lot. I think they, by electing him in the first place, they've proven they'll put up with a lot of his canoe-like uh, behavior because they think they can use his, 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 his ego to their advantage to get things out of Washington that previous people promised and wouldn't deliver on. But if all they're going to get are his antics, they're going to lose favor with that real quick. They, they don't care about the re- most— well, this, this, Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, this stuff this can get real old, and it's already getting old. I mean, I'm exhausted. Aren't you exhausted? Yes. He's exhausted. <laughs> Everybody's exhausted. We're, we're a month in, man. I mean, like, it's, it's, I'm, I'm all for the fight, and I'm all for fighting things that are good, but I don't know which – I'm not sure who I'm fighting, when I'm fighting, and how I'm fighting them, because some of the time I'm defending Trump from his attracts. Some of the time I'm saying Trump needs to do better. Like, everyone is tired because this is so chaotic. And unless Trump provides a measure of stability in the White House – I think that it's going to be real trouble for him and for the party generally. Ben Shapiro is here with us from the Daily Wire, dailywire.com. More with Ben in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. It's about convictions, not positions. Steve Dace. Right. 
here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Ben Shapiro, one of our favorites from The Daily Wire, is our guest. Check him out online at dailywire.com. And, you know, Ben, one of the things I'm seeing on our side is a lot of people are claiming the left is making a tactical blunder by attacking Trump on everything. I totally disagree. The goal is they're, they're throwing their sabots into the machine. They're trying to grind down the machinery of Trump's governance by getting him to focus on everything. Therefore, he's focused on nothing. He's got to get back on issues. Yeah, I agree. And, and he has the mandate. They have the power. They have a majority. There's no excuse for not doing things that are positive. And instead, we're getting a week of talk about a botched rollout on it on a pretty mild executive order. Getting a week of talk about how he just fired his national security three weeks into his national security advisor three weeks into an administration. All of this is avoidable stuff. All of it. And it's, it's, it's just a lot of inflicted wounds. And, you know, the, the argument, at least not Hillary, takes you a pretty long way. It takes you all the way to the White House. Mm-hmm. Once you're in the White House, that argument doesn't carry any more weight. That's right. now, you, now you're the guy in charge. And so you actually have to start being president of the United States. And again, this is not coming from a place of I want to see Trump torn down. I don't care about Trump as a human being. He doesn't make he doesn't make one iota of difference in my life. I care about him in his role as president of the United States. And then I want any president of the United States, Obama, Bush, Clinton, doesn't matter. I want all of them to do the same thing. And that is be a good president who implements my values. And the further they stray from that, the worse this is going to be. But personality obviously has something to do with that. And if you're going out and doing, you know, 45 minute press conferences in which you just cry over how everyone's victimizing you three weeks into an administration and bragging about crowd sizes at events that haven't taken place yet. None of this is making the American people feel very comfortable. So he said we were going to see some big policy announcements next week. I certainly hope to God we are, because the only thing that could justify this kind of chaos is good policy. Final thing, Ben, if you got just five minutes alone with Donald Trump in the Oval Office, what would you say to him right now? All I would say to him is, dude, you're president. Like, everybody... Everybody is cool. Just your president. And now, have some successful president. Do you want to be? Do you want to be known as the hugest president that ever was? I mean, the hugest president that ever was. Here is your agenda for the next six months. Just stick to these talking points. Don't get off these talking points. Here is what we're going to do for the next six months. Here is all the legislation we're going to push. Stay off for your own sake. You know, I know that you think that it's your style that won you the presidency. That's fine. And your style is great in moderation, but everything in moderation. And the more you go over the top, but no, but nobody's do this. Nobody's going to actually challenge his perception of himself because those people are tired. And that's, I think, the biggest problem surrounding him. Ben Shapiro, check him out at the Daily Wire. Dailywire.com is the website. Always great stuff and a tremendous Twitter follow as well. Thank you, Ben. Hey, thanks a lot. Take care. Gentlemen, your thoughts in the conversation we just had with Ben Shapiro, and it sounds like He's having the same conversation with his audience we've been having with ours for the last couple of days. Let me put the opportunity that's been lost into context. You had a bunch of never-Trumpers one week into the Trump presidency on a very controversial uh, rollout of his uh, Trump's immigration executive order, just going at it on behalf of this administration the sloppy rollout and all, because this was the right thing to do. They're doing their part. They're putting aside the past and fighting on behalf of this administration because they're willing to fight on behalf of this country. you got to ante up, Mr. President. I mean, the exhaustion coming out of your mouth, Steve, coming out of people like Ben Shapiro and our other guests on the show, we're willing to do our part. We're putting our differences aside. You've got to bring your A-game if one exists. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it is, it's um, unfortunate, let's put it that way, that just so soon and so quickly, it seems, that this is evolved into whatever this has become. I mean, this is this is a this is a sideshow at a circus at this point. This is and it's a really bad circus too. This is I mean, this is um, uh, akin to uh, just going off of the rails already. But again, I go back and I just think it's so weird. We were two weeks ago, two three weeks ago, we were all over praising uh, Mr. Tr- uh, President Trump. <laughs> I was calling him Mr. Trump back then. Uh, we were praising uh, Mike Pence for speaking at the March for life and then that very weekend after that that was the pinnacle so far in my view of the trump presidency after that everything goes off the rails i just think the timing is weird and uh, this again the exhaustion is is very real as well the 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 secret sauce i said earlier this week let me i think it bears repeating i think the secret sauce trump tapped into is he figured out Despite being a narcissistic megalomaniac, he figured out how to make it about you and not about him. And that's why I love the juxtaposition of Trump and Romney. In terms of personal decorum, class, I think most of us would agree Trump and uh, Trump's in a deficit standing there with Romney as much as I had my political issues with Mitt Romney. But I mean, on a human level. But yet, when Mitt Romney couldn't remember how many houses he owned, how did we all react? Can't stand that guy, right? When Trump, when 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 Trump drops his plane right in the middle of rural Iowa during the caucuses, people flock. Oh, can I can I can I use the bathroom? Can I sit in the chair? I mean, it's a, he 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 makes his wealth and he makes his standing accessible to other people. That is being completely lost here. It's all about him. The the left is the left is giving him the Grandpa Zebediah Walton treatment. Okay, you've heard me use this analogy before. My favorite episode of the Waltons. Jim Bob gets caught smoking cigarettes, so Grandpa Zebediah goes down to the corner store, buys every cotton pig and pack, takes him up to the top of Walton's Mountain, he makes him smoke them all until he's sick of them. That's what the left is doing. Remember, we saw during the campaign last year. We how many times did we do the show? Where's Hillary Clinton? It was a one-man. It was a one-man act. They know his personality is grating. That's why they helped him win the nomination in the first place. They thought they could beat him. And the longer the left goes without annoying, or, or without that they can't go far without annoying. The longer the left goes without anointing a a proxy, the better off they are. Don't give Trump a foil. He'll kill you with that. But on his own, he implodes, and that's what we're watching right now. It's 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 hard as the president to avoid not being on your own. You are the face of the franchise now. But that's why you've got to pick the right fights so that you can have foils to play off of. What happened earlier today to Baronelle Stutzman in Washington State, a woman I've met, she is an adorable woman, interviewed her before, and and they just they want to take her life savings away because of her moral conscience. That is your foil. That's your foil. And the beauty of it is she comes from a state you've got no chance to win anyway, so you can literally offend everybody there, right? It's a, Who cares if Trump in 2020 loses Washington State by nine points or 29? Does it make a difference? No. Not winning there anyway. 
So it's the this is the perfect foil. You rally to her cause. This is not what we do in America. You scorch earth the infrastructure in Washington, none of which will ever vote for you anyway. These are the political opportunities you need to look for in a White House so that you are giving your narrative instead of repeating back your opponents, which is what they're doing right now. Listening to Steve Dace. Want your country back? Keep listening for instructions. This is Steve Dace. I think there's a follow up question to what we were just talking about that should be addressed. Steve, why doesn't he just do this? If it's as easy as you say, why don't they just do it? It's not easy. It is simple, but it is not easy. All right? I don't want to be one of those talk show hosts, and it's probably too late. It's impossible to do in our line of work not to think everything's simple from the cheap seats when it's not. Okay? But a lot of things in life really are simple. That doesn't mean they're easy. Easy is not the same as simple. Knowing right from wrong is pretty simple. Abiding by it, not so easy. (laughs) All right? right. In a fallen, gray-mattered world. It is very simple to see what they must do if you if you have common sense and you analyze it, but it's not easy to execute it, and here's why. In order to execute this, some of this is his own personality anyway. I mean, let's be honest. In, to some extent, gentlemen, we are, we are concerned that Trump is behaving like he behaved when he campaigned and we didn't think he could do the job. So this is... This is the opposite of confirmation bias, right? This is like we are giving analysis in the hopes that our previous analysis was false and pretending to be surprised every time it is confirmed. (laughs) All right. We're doing the inside out of an echo chamber. Tell us we're wrong every night. That's what we we're here every night demanding to be proven wrong, America. That's what we're here to do. All right. And sad when it turns out. What did I say to you after the show last night? One of these days, I just want to be wrong. Didn't I tell you that? You did? Yeah. Now we're bringing schizophrenia to a CRTV near you. (laughs) Yes. But, But here's why. It's simple to see it, but not easy to execute. To see stories like Baronel Stutzman, or or pick another story, to see those as monetizable entities politically requires the worldview that recognizes what's really happening here. If you don't have a fully integrated worldview, you're not going to you're, you're not even going to look at that Baronel Stutzman story. You're the hot potato, don't want to touch it. Walk away, not realizing that is political gold. Trump guys, I'm just telling you, I knew him well back then. He stumbled into the immigration issue. He wanted to run on China and trade policy and trade wars and TPP. He stumbled on immigration to realize and when he did, he realized, "Wait, this is I got a live one here." I'm not throwing that one back. Problem is, though, that means I better do some homework. So you, you could tell. Remember those debates a couple of years ago? He's doing the homework on the fly on Anchor Babies and the 14th Amendment, all that stuff, right? That means he's studying up. Why is he doing that? Hey, I got a live one here. For the same reason when he saw a beautiful woman and he thought, you know, I don't kind of want to know what, what, what designers does she like? Where does she work? What does she do? Same reason. I got a live one. I'm going to study up. He is missing opportunities because he's limited by his own worldview. This, most of the staff around him is limited by their worldview. Reince Priebus is not a strategic thinker. He is a bean counter. He is a caretaker. He's a risk manager. Steve Bannon is a strategic thinker, but it is for an aberrant worldview. 
It's some form of hybrid nationalistic, um, you know, Eurocentrism. And so he's going to see things like Baron L. Stutzman as a distraction from, I really want to rail against a day without immigrants. No man can rise above their own worldview. It would be a little bit like if you've never done a radio show before and you thought because you talked really well that you could do one. And so we said to you, here's our show. Here's the amount of time you have to talk each hour. Go ahead and schedule and structure a show. You'd get on the air and realize it's after the opening segment, it's not as simple as just carry on a conversation. I got to know when the breaks are. I got to time myself out. I got to know when the audience is sick of a subject. I got to know when I've beaten a dead horse. I got to know how to transition. And then you'd probably sit there after a 15-minute rant and look at it and say, what do I talk about next? You, would, you don't have the worldview yet, the skill set, to look at various issues and think, okay, I get five minutes out of that. I can talk about that for 10 minutes. That we can do for a whole hour. You see what I'm trying to say? You just, you can't know what you don't know. Because he doesn't really have the kind of worldview that it takes to put the left on the defensive on the issues, he is missing Opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. All right. And and that's that's going to be his downfall. And that's why he goes back to let's play the personality game because that's the game he knows how to play. He's great at it. He's the only Republican I've ever seen get elected to any office from president to dog catcher winning an election on personalities. I've never seen it before. But we're not in an election now, are we? When you have an election, what do you have every single day? What do you have every single day? A foil. Every day there's somebody to play off of, and it's already picked handpicked for you. Every day. What does he not have now? Every day. A foil. Which means you have to pick them. You got to pick the right ones. How are you going to pick the right ones? You have to have the right worldview to recognize what are what's that immigration issue that I stumbled upon? He's not going to have that. That's not who he is. It's why it's incumbent upon him to have advisors around him that do. Listening to Steve Dace. We're not concerned about what you think, but why you think it. Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Some of you may have noticed a hashtag trending earlier today, hashtag Day Without Immigrants. Now, my understanding is this is an attempt to get a bunch of people who are not citizens, but in the country legally or illegally, working at various places to walk out of their place of business to show just how much we need them. Is that is that that's the gist of it? Sort of the SJW Mm -hmm. uh, plot line here. I'm going to I'm so going to not I'm going to try to buck the trend of what is expected of me as a conservative talk show host and returning snark for snark and pointing out the complete and total fallacy of this, which is all true. I mean, one of the dumbest tactics you can ever engage in is is to show people they really don't need you. So if you all walked out of work and people still just went to other restaurants and other places to get what they wanted, that kind of blows up in your face, guys. Okay, don't don't ever convince people they can be without your product. That's kind of marketing 101. But everybody else did that show already today and probably can do it better than we can. So we'll let that slide. I want to look at a bigger picture here. 
we are not a nation of immigrants. I'm going to repeat this. We are not a nation of immigrants. We are a nation of citizens. We are not a nation of immigrants. We are a nation of citizens. Now, let me explain what this means. When Todd and I were growing up in between Saturday morning cartoons, we saw a schoolhouse rock. Remember the melting pot one, right? Yes, I do. Okay. When we still believed in the melting pot, this is why we have to define our terms. When we still believed in a melting pot, nation of immigrants meant the following. We are a people formed and founded from other peoples around the world who have come here because they want to know what it means to be uniquely American. That's what it meant. And so when someone said in 1987 or 1979, we're a nation of immigrants, nobody, unless you're a xenophobic nativist, flying a Pepe the Frog flag in your front yard, nobody bristled at this. Nobody did. Yeah, yeah, I mean... I remember as a kid watching the Prince Spaghetti Day commercials. It's Wednesday. It's Prince Spaghetti Day. And the little Italian kid runs home, you know, to get spaghetti. You know, my ancestors came here from Sicily at the turn of the 20th century. And so you, you bring those traditions, you bring those, 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 those markings of, of your native land with you. But the goal was, you know, I remember when we were in school, Todd, we had a lot of first-generation Vietnamese settlers that were given asylum and, and sanctuary coming out of the Vietnam War. And a lot of us went to school and we'd go to the parent-teacher conferences, what would happen? The parents, who were literally right off the boat, like the sitcom that's out now, couldn't speak English yet. Their kids spoke better English than us and kicked our ass in every class, okay? Why? Why? Because they didn't come here to be, to have little Vietnam. They They didn't abandon their heritage. They were proud of where they were from. But what was the first thing that, th- that those parents who couldn't speak English that came over here from Vietnam, what's the first thing they had their kids do? Learn the language. Why? So they could be uniquely American. That's why. This is what we used to call assimilation. Now that we don't belong, the, the progressives have rejected the concept of a melting pot. So when you hear the phrase nation of immigrants, it means something totally different than it meant 20, 30, 40 years ago. Now what it means is citizenship for American citizenship is diminished, has little to no value at all, and that we are just a member of the global community. That's what it means. Or anything but America. That's right. There's nothing uniquely American. Nothing uniquely American. Nothing. So the the phrase doesn't mean what it used to mean. We used to believe that we couldn't have immigration without assimilation or assimilation without immigration. We used to believe we had to have one. We had to have them both at the same time. Now progressives desire to have one without the other. So don't get caught up in this language. Don't get caught up in flowery sentiments. This is the game plan of the other team. The goal here is the eradication of American exceptionalism. Why did those Vietnamese parents that we went to school with that couldn't speak English at the parent-teacher conferences but had to sit there and have their, 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 their kids translate what the teacher was saying? Why did they come here? Because America was exceptional. Offered them asylum, a chance for a better life, and they wanted their kids to take full advantage of it. That's why. Why did my, my ancestors come, come here off, of, off the boat from Sicily? 
As Mr. Potter calls them in It's a Wonderful Life, I'm descended from garlic eaters. Why did they come here? Because they wanted to know what it meant to be uniquely American. They wanted to tie into that. They saw that it was exceptional. It was better than where they lived. And we used to have a balance between the fusion of our heritage and traditions and what it meant to be a citizen. Unfortunately, we don't have that anymore. So we are forced to make a choice now. Are we a nation of immigrants or are we a nation of citizens? We used to not have to make this choice. In fact, you used to just think one led to the other. That's not the way the game is played anymore. Well, we also used to understand the gospel. And you've talked about this before. The open hand, close hand philosophy, the the parts of uh, a a nation state that must must be adhered to, the the pact you must make. And then the open hand philosophy, the thing, these aren't, we aren't picking a fight here. Of course you can dress differently. We do not wear, live in lockstep and all wear the same uniform. That used to be in our bones, and because it isn't anymore, we get this wrong now. Yeah, and I think part of what's going on here is this just shows how systemic progressivism has um, has become ingrained in our culture. That I think when immigrants do have this uh, view of America, they come here and they 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 have this uh, historical view of America that this is a place of opportunity. It really still is for people. But when you uh, when you when you're an immigrant and you get here and you see so many people ashamed of their own country, why would you want to try to assimilate into that? Why why would you want to try to change? Uh, you know, you can still hang on to your heritage, but when you're when you get here and people are already ashamed of it because what they've been fed from progressives for their entire life, what benefit is there uh, to you to trying to assimilate to their culture? And I think the answer is none. You can get all the opportunity without any of the work to assimilate. Not to mention the point that I made on this show last week. That, that I think uh, furthers what Aaron just said. The same people that are telling you we're a nation of immigrants are the same people that are telling you we suck, we're racist, misogynist, homophobic bigots. So why do they want to bring a, a, fl- a flood of foreigners to a country that is so terrible? Why? Why? Well, there would be only one reason why. They, they, they're trying to bring in new people and not assimilate them in the hopes of undoing the values of the people that already live here. That's why. Listening to Steve Dace. Right versus wrong, not right versus left. This is Steve Dace. One more thing on this because I know this is coming. So let me just pull a John Calvin and preemptively. Nip this objection in the bud now. Well, Steve, there's no re- nobody. Every we're all immigrants. Cause the only people here that were originally here were the Indians, the Native Americans, and the imperialists, uh, and the the white Europeans got rid of them, and they got a raw deal. And so none of us really deserve to be here. They're the only ones that deserve to be here. So that makes us all immigrants. Okay, before you become the next Nimrod to send me that email, thinking you're smart because you read that on the Slate comments section from, uh, you know, some idiot uh, screen name. Put your money where your mouth is. Let's see you back this up. I mean, the worst thing to be in this age of postmodern moral relativism is a what? A hypocrite, hypocrite. right. So by all means, if this is all true, why are you even on the internet at all? Think I got fast Wi-Fi over the reservation? 
How dare you enjoy any trappings of Western civilization's enlightened advances? Any of its technology? Where do you get off? Hypocrite? Bigot? Get rid of it all. Trade it in for some wampum? Head over to the reservation if that's what you think. You can't sit there. Don't sit there and lecture the rest of us. If that's your view of history, I'd like to see you live up to it. I don't think that's too much to ask, gentlemen, do you? No, not at all. Not, I mean, if that is your view of history, then I, I expect you to forego any of the current uh, technological advancements that are the fruit of the labors of the imperialistic heteronormative takeover, of uh, patriarchal takeover of this once unvarnished continent of forestry. Uh, and I expect you to give it all away in order to recommune with the land, do your penance, and show your commitment. I asked the very same thing back in college of an exchange student. We were in this very same debate, and finally I just asked, Why are you here? You hate this place. Everything you've said <laughs> is an ode to hating this place. What was their answer? They had none. <laughs> I mean, I really... Because you're describing this was not a dumb, this What was, you're describing... Progressivism is a cult. What you're pointing out... One of the earmark, one of the hallmarks of a cult, the lack of critical thinking. When you turn their logic on themselves and they have no answer, and they just revert back to the conditioning. That's what you're describing, Todd. Yeah. And this wasn't a dumb person, a, a, a bright person. But the, the the degree program that they were in, they could have studied anywhere where they. Came, uh, my memory is that they were from somewhere in Europe. I just don't remember. Uh, why not stay there? Not to mention, if we are a nation of immigrants, as the left claims, and, and, and by their own definition. How is it possible to have a day without immigrants? Would we all have to leave? If we're a nation of immigrants, how is it possible to have a day without immigrants? Wouldn't we all have to leave? More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here of the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Tomorrow is the big day. Salem is finally rid of us. It's been a great 15 months. They have been tremendous partners for our show. We began 15 months ago with, I think, 11 affiliates. We're leaving tomorrow with, I think, well over 70. Uh, No complaints. Uh, But uh, we're also... Uh, Just as thankful uh, for the opportunity to work with a great company like Salem as we are to move on with a great company like CRTV and the new CRTV show debuts February 27th. Aaron, you and I were going over some of the logistics earlier today, Mm -hmm. some of the set designs, graphics. Yeah, I'm starting to get beyond, um, you know, just change is good just to reinvigorate you and make sure you don't get stale. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to get excited about the way this thing's going to look, actually. It's, it's going to look really cool. I can't wait for our audience especially to see it. 
So make sure you use promo code DACE, D-E-A-C-E, and get the subscription discount now so that you don't miss an episode when we debut with the new show on February 27th. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, indeed, our producer Aaron takes the reins of the show. You know, we've got a sweet 16 at my house now. Today's our oldest, Anastasia. This is her 16th birthday, right? And so she's getting ready to go take that driver's test and uh, and, and scare mom and dad to death uh, and take the wheel. And, and this is kind of when we let you do that every night. I'm turning 16 every night. Every night. <laughs> He, he opens up his wallet, and there's this really faded uh, piece of paper, and it says learner's permit, but it's spelled L-E-R-N-E-R. It's kind of weird. But he brings out this learner's permit. He says, hey, Dad, Dad, it's my turn to drive. You promised me I could drive, Dad. T- top of the third hour tonight. And so here we are. Oh, Aaron, you may ask the questions weird. now. <laughs> First question. And if you would like to uh, have something submitted... Did uh, I make it awkward? <laughs> you, you did. That was really, really well done, boss. Um, uh, first question comes from listener Ron Burtz. By the way, you can uh, email your questions, Aaron at SteveDace.com. He asks, if you received a call from the White House asking you to come work for the Trump administration, what job specifically would you want and under what conditions would you say yes? Uh, this is a, I, I really don't want to have to answer this because there's no way to not make this self-serving. You know what I'm saying? But rules are rules, so I will answer the question. The only re, only there's only one re because I don't really care about being the ambassador to Italy. That'd be cool for like a week, and then you realize I still have to live here. You know, you visited all the sites, and you're like, I, you know, I can get pizza at home, and I'm missing March Madness. You know what I'm saying? I mean, okay. So, so to me, the only way I'd want to work in politics full time is if I could make a difference with my value system, not not just mark time in a scenic position or get some kind of attaboy for your support. Not that there's anything wrong with that, right? We're human beings. I get that. But that's not what would motivate me to do it. I like those things in other venues, right? Like if someone said to me, hey, because you do a great show, I'm going to give you access to my private plane and fly up uh, with my season tickets to go to every Michigan home game, home game this year, I would totally take advantage of that. So I don't want to make it look like I'm totally, you know, I'm Jesus juking everybody. I'm above such things. That's not true. It's just in, in the political arena, those aren't the things that motivate me. Uh, I'm interested in what advances my worldview. And so to me, uh, communications director, with the hard and fast rule that my team does not have to defend Donald Trump's family or personal statements. And and doesn't mean by the way we we don't we we you know throw him under the bus either, but we clearly draw a line in the sand and we say those are the president's personal comments. Next time he has a press avail, have you ever known Donald Trump to be a shrinking violet and not answer your questions? Ask away. I'm sure he'd be happy to answer your questions. But for when we sit here with the official White House press seal, it is to deal with issues and policies that are germane to the to the events of the day and what truly makes a difference in the lives of everyday Americans. That would be the job. 
Yeah, obviously my answers would be somewhere along the same lines, as a speechwriter, press secretary. But in this particular White House, you could get a lot of pretty sweet gigs and not have to be in that immediate orb. So I'd go ambassador to the Vatican. That's I could see one. that. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. I, I would definitely do um, press secretary. I mean, the, the thought of trolling the media every day, of course, with, with the, the hard and fast rule that you mentioned, Steve, not having to be Donald Trump's personal pooper scooper every day for the next four years, uh, I would go with uh, with press secretary. There's a lot of power that uh, comes with that position, I think. Nobody said tweeter in chief or anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Question two. I think that job's filled. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's full of something. It was filled uh, November 8th. Uh, question two. If you could eliminate one negative characteristic of this current era or decade or generation or your generation and replace it with one hallmark virtue of another time, what would you trade for what? Oh, that's a great. That's one of the best questions we've probably ever had. And we get a lot of good ones on this show, but that is a really good one. Uh, I, I would think for for my generation, I, I would choose... Uh, or for our generation, Todd, uh, I I would ch- I would choose the willingness to draw a line in the sand when faced with clear and present dangers to the worldview and values passed down by previous generations. When we could have still stopped much of what is happening now from occurring. I mean, our generation was the advent of political correctness on college campuses that has just now run amok. We were there when they were starting to change the spelling of women to YN and all the create and rate and, and women's studies and race studies and all the stupid identity politics that is now killing us was was its petri dish was in our generation. And so to have the to have the what for of what previous generations when they saw existential threats to the American way of life and they were willing to set everything aside convenience and everything in order to confront them head on before they got rolling against them downhill i wished we would have done the same thing when we when we had the chance and how much different would the culture now be than it currently is i would say the sense of uh rugged individualism and personal integrity that would just make it simply impossible for us to have a nanny state like we do now because you just you would be ashamed to be a part of it in any way whatsoever yeah, mine is related to what you just said, Todd. For my generation personally, I, I would like to think that um, I could replace the sense of entitlement or the sense of uh, reliance on uh, anything other than oneself with um, uh, the the opposite sense, it seems like, in my mind. And may, maybe I have a, you know, looking back through history at rose-colored lenses, but the people like the settlers who moved across, moved west across the United States, those were tough people who brought their families with them in some cases, and they had to contend with so much, and it was was really them who, uh, at the end of the day, really paved the way for a lot of our country to be where it is now and to have the prosperity that we have now. Question three, Gino, a listener in Bolivia, asks us two listener questions today. In a world where Bolivia? Matrix Bolivia. He's listening in Bolivia. Nice. Uh, a, a world well, where... Well, he's laying locked down there. He's got nothing else to do but listen to us, exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. And a world where Matrix technology has been developed that allows people to upload a skill to their brain and where, due to the neural stress of the procedure, it can only be done once in a lifetime, what skill would you upload? <laughs> well, that, 
That's a really specific question, Gino, and it's kind of concerning. <laughs> um, which, uh, any skill? Any yeah. skill. Any skill, but you can only upload once in your lifetime. To only be used once. Yeah. Uh, no, you can use it as much as you want to, but you can only make this decision oh, once. Oh, and, so, and then there's no going back. There's no going so back. So make sure this one counts. Mm-hmm. You've entered the world of real-life superhero can, here. Can, the, can, can I use the, the skill that allows me to conjure up other skills whenever I want? <laughs> Does that work? Uh, no, kind of like when the genie says, no wishing for, in, for infinity wishes. You're not allowed to do that. So that's off or the table. Or Barack Obama executive orders himself in limited executive orders. <laughs> yes. So, so I just want to stipulate, because that's the skill I'm picking. My uh, no, the ability to give myself unlimited skill. You can't do that. That's defying the laws of physics. Yes. Okay. The ability to know the future. That's what I would choose. I would choose the, the 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 ability to know. That's the skill I would want, the, so, to, to know the future. So that's a fair, that's fair game. The skill can be... Anything it doesn't it Any? doesn't have to be something that's like like I, instantly I would know kung fu it doesn't have to actually be possible I mean in theory I could know kung fu that's why I narrowed it down to my own decisions right that's because I recognize that's why I recognize that which is why I narrowed it down to my own decisions the ability to know the end result of my own decisions I'll say kung fu personal flight <laughs> nice. Listening to Steve Dace. Check us out online at SteveDace.com, where you get show archives and opinions each day. You're listening to Steve Dace. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. See, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We got to get some buzz going. Indeed we do. So this is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back and take a look at some of the things that we might have missed earlier in the show, when it took us way too long to say everything else. And these are the headlines that are trending both on social media, where you are, that's right, your social media, Aaron has been watching your internet activity all day long. That should scare you. Also, what is uh, going on and being bandied about at your water cooler at work, Aaron has those headlines. We will react, probably overly so, with the hot ticks. Thank you, Steve, for story on his first visit to NATO headquarters. Defense Secretary James Mattis on Wednesday delivered a blunt warning to America's allies, telling them they must increase military spending or the United States will pull back from its commitment to the transatlantic bloc. It was a stark warning delivered on behalf of President Trump, who had previously declared NATO to be obsolete and raised doubts about whether America would remain committed to the common defense clause that is the bedrock of the NATO treaty. Uh, I don't have a problem with this at all. Well, Steve, how do you say that? Because you were critical of Trump's comment saying NATO is obsolete. Um, It's a big difference sending a signal... Uh, that NATO is obsolete at the time Russia is essentially trying to invade um, the Ukraine, <laughs> all right, and expand itself into a, another mini Soviet Union. There's a, there's a wide chasm between that wording and the wording of, hey guys, you know, um, this isn't a protection racket; it's a partnership, and that means everybody here does their fair share. 
This is why messaging, Todd, is so vitally important. That's why. Because people who got mad at us during the election, we criticized Trump for these comments. They said that what he meant was what Mattis said yesterday. Do not ask foreign governments to translate your remarks. Not to mention, I thought he was the guy that spoke his mind, told it like it is. If he speaks his mind and tells it like it is, why the hell we got to translate him all the time? All right? NATO is not obsolete. In fact, you know where you see that language? Russia Today, uh, you know, on the Moscow News Service. All right? It's not obsolete. Now, that being said, it is way past time for everybody else to do their fair share. Way past time. And I don't have any problem with that language whatsoever. Yeah, Mattis is doing what he can to make sure it doesn't become obsolete. And remember, Mattis is the guy who said... Yeah, let me say that. That's a good point. If indeed our European allies choose not to step up and do their fair share, then it will be they themselves at that point declaring it obsolete because they didn't pull their own weight. And I hopefully that people uh, bargaining with him know that Mattis has said many colorful quotes in the, in the past, including, uh, have a plan to kill every man you meet. That's the kind of swagger he is bringing to these negotiations. And I hope they see that when they look him in the eye. Listen, this is the big boys table, guys. You know, we're trying to keep Western civilization afloat here. Mm-hmm. There's still enemies. Are you in or you out? Yes. I like the fact that Mattis is the guy yep. on this end of things. Especially as Secretary of Defense. That's what we need from him. Next story. When it comes to taking on the LGBT lobbies, cultural cronies, officials in Texas are st- setting a new standard for conservative lawmakers and going on the offensive against recent threats from the National Football League. The NFL issued a statement saying that if passed, legislation to allow businesses to determine their own bathroom policies might interfere with future Super Bowls in the state. Craig Abbott told Glenn Beck on Tuesday, The NFL is walking on thin ice right here. The NFL needs to concentrate on playing football and get the heck out of politics. Yes. Yes. And they picked the, the wrong this wrong state to pick a fight with. I, I mean, th- this is this is Texas. And, you know, they, they threatened them last year over the Houston ordinance. Or it was in 2015 when they had the lesbian mayor of Houston try to impose this by hook or by crook. You can use whatever bathroom you want. And some pastors and people got together, if you recall, because they were already organized. Cause it was the same lesbian mayor that tried to confiscate their sermons a couple of years before that. And so they got their organization together, got this issue on the ballot, citywide referendum. And I think it was, was it 61-39 or mm-hmm. something by 25 points, this thing, she was defeated. And the NFL was threatening them at the time, hey, we're going to pull this. Super Bowl out of Houston, where, where it was a couple weeks ago, we're going to pull the Super Bowl out of Houston if you go through with this, and they just did it anyway. Uh, you know, that's, listen, there are cowardly politicians in Texas, like there are cowardly politicians everywhere else. But there is a certain unique culture of Texas that is ingrained in the average Texan. And I, you just, having... Having been there numerous times the last few years, and if you work uh, in conservative grassroots like I do, you run into a lot of people from Texas because it's essentially the unofficial capital of the conservative grassroots in America today. And you just know there's ways to get politicians anywhere to buckle. It's going to be very difficult to get politicians in Texas to buckle, though, by challenging them, threatening them on a manhood level. 
That just goes against the zeitgeist of the culture they're in down there, guys. They just it doesn't resonate. They're they're likely to put sharper spurs on their boots. There are politicians in Texas who got up this morning who are probably trying to convince people like Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor, don't go through with this. Okay, you're going to hurt us. And now that the NFL is out there threatening them. Guys, there are politicians in Texas got up there. Screw you, man. F you. We're doing it anyway. That's just not the way to roll up on Texas. All right, that won't. That you know what? You got to figure out what is somebody's weak point. Okay, and we if, if and you saw the way the governor responded right away and right out front. That's an example of what I'm talking about. This is this is if, if you're trying to if you're trying to intimidate. There's you can there's always somebody's always intimidated by something. I'm not. I don't have the personality where you threaten me directly. I will just do it to spite you because I will not set the precedent that you can lean on me like that. But that doesn't mean that I cannot be persuaded or tempted. I'm human. That's just not the way to do it. Same thing with Texas, Todd. This is not the way. Don't rub their. Don't don't have your dog crap on their lawn and then rub their nose in it. They do not react well to that. I agree wholeheartedly. I can imagine one potential Achilles heel, particularly since we talked about him yesterday and his influence over the entire NFL. Where is Jerry Jones on all this? Well, you know, it's interesting. Jerry Jones got caught a few years ago, remember, in a bit of a scandal, pictures with him and other women up in uh, that were kind mm-hmm. of compromising. And so that is a really good question. Uh, the NFL Super Bowl bidding process for Super Bowls 56 and beyond, I think, actually began today. And I know Dallas was one of the primary destinations uh, with Jerry World down there at uh, Arlington uh, that was being bandied about where this is concerned. See, that is how you could have gotten to them. Like if the NFL called Jerry Jones up privately and said, hey, we don't need this fight. We don't, you know, go talk to some people privately and get him to stand down and just make it go away. That's how I think they could have gotten Texas to buckle. But if you're going to fire shots across Texas's bow and challenge their manhood, guys, this is a state that thinks it should be that declared itself its own country once and would like to do so again. This is not the way to go after them. They they are they they just don't they don't process this level of threat well. I mean, guys, if you're the governor of Texas tweeting out, "Don't mess with Texas." You kind of put yourself in a corner. You don't get to come, you don't get to Well, we thought it over a few months later. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, I don't think this ends well for the NFL. I don't. And the last thing their ratings and viewership needs is for them to get increasingly political. We saw what happened when they did it this fall. You got to know who your audience is, guys. You got to know who your audience is. And your audience is your audience is not predominantly people that enthusiastically voted for Hillary Clinton. It's just not. You're listening to Steve Dace. Application for your foundation. This is Steve Dace. And it's Thursday night. We like to play a little game at this time each week called Buy, Sell, or Hold. Our producer, Aaron, will put forth a series of hopefully not lame yet provocative statements. Todd and I will decide, are we buying that? Are we selling that? One time a week, we are allowed to hold it, meaning we just don't think there's enough information yet to make a tough call, but we can only use that once. And we also instituted a new rule last week that uh, we're saving the holds so they can be brought back later to force you to go on the record. That's how we roll here on this show. So, Aaron, you may begin. Thank you, Steve. Donald Trump will not make it through his first four years in office. (laughs) 
Wow. Um, <laughs> that's that's not an easy. That's, that's not easy to answer. And that it's, it's not, not is just from. And we are less than a month into this thing. Uh, it's hold. I just come on. It, it's snowflake. It, <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> All right, screw it, man. I'm buying that. <laughs> you going to challenge me like that? Yeah! <laughs> uh, uh, let me say this. There is a better chance, if if things continue on this pace, where he is unable to craft narratives on issues people actually care about, and we just do the Keeping Up with the Kardashians reality show palace intrigue every day, like the last going on it's Thursday night now. It's been two weeks of this, okay? If if he's unable, if if, if he's unable to 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 generate narratives with the power of his office that actually make people's lives better, and he just wants to play the gotcha game with the media, even though he's beaten them, we're, we're this is war games now. Remember the movie War Games, Aaron? Todd, oh, you're, yes. you're too young, Aaron. You remember the game War? Would and, you and like to play a game? The only you know, way to win the game is not to play. He's already defeated the media, okay? And, and but but if he continues to beat this dead horse, people get exasperated. They get sick of it. I I want this to be about me. You told me you were going to do things for me. When are we building that wall? When are we repe- repealing Obamacare? When are we doing this stuff? I thought you were draining the swamp, and now I'm watching your presidency get undermined by feckless bureaucrats that Obama stacked the deck with for the last eight years. Why didn't you walk in and just fire every one of these people day one? Why? People don't give a... You know, we care about who's... Is it Reince Priebus? Steve Bannon? I had a friend of mine from D.C. call me who's, who, yesterday. He's like, it's like there's three governments going on. There's Trump's personality. There's Bannon and people around him. and people. You know who cares about that? We do. You know who doesn't care about that? 90% of Americans. They just want Obamacare to go away, more affordable health care. They want their jobs. That's all. They don't care about any of this. They don't care. And if he's unable... If we're if we're if we're sitting here on day 26 or 27 now, and he is unable already to move beyond to transcend this in a governing mode, then Todd, there is a better chance than not he won't make it. And I don't think there's there's not going to be impeachment. I, I I just think it's just something happens and we just walk away. He has got to govern the country, govern it. That's not happening right now. I'm going to sell, but not because I can argue with any of those specific. It's it's just because the the press and the left are every bit as off the wall and crazy and unhinged and broken and dysfunctional, and so there there is no agency ultimately to make him feel like he is cornered in a way that he has no choice but to leave, and there's no agent that can uh, force him out. It would let actually me, let have me to tell be. You, let me tell you where things do change. You're you're right. Here's where things change. This becomes already like the last two years of the George W. Bush era. And you have a midterm in 2018, like 2006. And you have a map that is the most favorable Republicans have had in my lifetime, and you get annihilated anyway. Because of you can't, you just can't, you won't either can't or won't govern. You just persist. I mean, who the hell cares if the White House Correspondents' Dinner goes on or not? Why are they wasting any time on this? Who gives a rip? Govern the damn country. Make the trains run. 
And if you don't do that and you have an annihilation in the midterms and now people, different people are running Congress, that is when the environment changes. That is when the agency is created. You're right. It doesn't exist now. But the question wasn't two years. It was four. And a lot can change in 2018. And I did think about that. But whatever goodwill they have coming in, they will lose immediately if their first modus, uh, mode of operation is to try to impeach Trump, because that accomplishes what you're talking about. It's not governing. We'll see. People may. Th- it depends, because the only reason they would be in there is if they think he's the obstacle to governing. They think he's the obstacle. That's why they would win, because people think you're the obstacle to governing. You didn't win on some era of good feelings landslide like Obama did. We voted for you because if you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with. This is a shotgun wedding. And if it's not going to deliver, if you're not going to go out and get a job, I'll go find somebody who will. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Reminding you that Almighty God is always a majority. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Well, that was some kind of question for buy, sell, and hold to lead us off with. That was a whole segment. You're welcome. So that means that was a good question. Once I I got you to answer it. Well, it's because (laughs) there's really not enough evidence to answer this question. But if you're going to, if you're going to, if I'm just going to give this impassioned, you know, rant of why you can't back down Texas, and then I'm going to turn around three minutes later and put a hold, you were right to question my manhood and force me to go on the record. So therefore I did. By the end of the year, Paul Manafort will be living in Moscow. (laughs) (laughs) He's not there now? Um... I'm going to the only reason he'd have to live there is for ex, because of extradition. Um, but uh, I, I just think I'm going to sell because I think if you are, while there's enough prima facie evidence to make you uncomfortable about relationships here, you've got to think if they had something, if they had some kind of smoking gun, don't you think we'd know? Don't you think it'd be out there? I do. Uh, and, um, there's enough to make you uncomfortable, but you don't survive and make millions of dollars practicing realpolitik like Paul Manafort has for decades now by being sloppy. So I'm going to sell. I think Paul Manafort's going to probably get to live wherever the heck he wants. Yeah, I'm selling as well. And the fact that there's th- this firing when no law was broken at all seems to feed into my whole theory about uh, Trump and this weird obsession with Russia that really isn't based on anything other than a guy who wants to compare sizes with this guy over here. Uh, it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's gotten to the point, as Steve has talked about, it is truly unproductive, if not dangerous right now. But the, it, simultaneously, there's also no there there. It's weird. The Which late- is the question Shapiro's been asking all week. Well, what exactly did Flynn resign for? Why did he lie? Mm-hmm. If nothing bad happened, then why did he lie? I mean, that's because we don't. I mean, NBC yesterday reported that their sources are saying there's no evidence of any collusion between uh, Russians and the Trump campaign during the election. Well, then why did he lie? Why did he lie? What was there to lie about then? So I get that whole line of work, whole line of reasoning. Somebody asked me yesterday. Um, why we've got a different view of this on our show than some other people at Conservative Review do who think Trump was wrong to get rid of Flynn. 
well, this story in and of itself, there's a there's a valid case that Trump was wrong to get rid of Flynn. If you just take this story isolated with no evidence of any criminal wrongdoing, I can see why people would be concerned about the dangerous precedent would set. My perspective on this is I thought Flynn was a poopy hire to begin with. He was a baggage ridden hire to begin with. And this just adds further to the baggage. He's there for one month. He's got one job. Keep your nose down. Stay out of the headlines. And he can't do that. Okay? And this is already after his son is already... He's already he's a purveyor of, of discredited conspiracy theories. His son's an internet troll. I'm sure he's a great soldier. I'm not, I'm not questioning that at all. I am questioning whether... There's lots of great soldiers who have no business being the national security advisor. Because this is a strictly political office. The baggage he came to this office with... May Made his margin for error almost negligible, and in w- one weekend, oh, look what happened. That's why we took that stance on this show. The Lego Batman movie will end up outperforming total box office two of the four most recent Batman movies. I'm thinking the Batman trilogy and Batman vs. Superman. Well, Batman vs. Superman made about 330 mil. I- I'm going to say, you mean domestic, of course. Domestic. We're just talking yep, domestically. Domestic, yeah. I'm going to sell. I was surprised. I mean, it did very well last week. I mean, it dominated the box office, mm-hmm. but I thought it would do better. Uh, and you merge two franchises, uh, brands like Lego and Batman. This seems like it's a no-brainer. I mean, this is still going to be a well over $200 million movie domestically, but I'm not sure it will even outdo the first Lego movie, which I would have guessed it will easily outdo that. But I'm not so sure that it will. Uh, I, I think they were... A little disappointed in how it opened last week, even though it was a dominant opening. But I think they were expecting to break every record, and they did not. I'll sell as well. Now, I'm just guessing here, but unlike the original Lego movie, this might be too niche from a boyhood level. I can imagine just, you know, the... The frozen crowd, the girls' crowd, that automatically oh, goes okay, out. Just they might that. not. Yeah. And there's 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 your dollars. Yeah, that's okay. yeah. That was kind of the spirit behind it. Uh, is that the the residual value of this movie, not just the opening weekend shock? Even though I thought it I thought it was better than the Lego Movie, and we'll talk about this more tomorrow with Mike Woody. But uh, I would I would actually buy that one. Uh, let's see. Next one. Uh, none of the top the current top four in the college basketball ra- rankings will actually make it to the final four. I don't even know who's in the rankings. I don't even I don't I even I don't even look at the AP poll. It's irrelevant to me. I don't know who's ranked where. Only rankings I look at right now. I don't I used to, I don't even look at the RPI as much as I used to. Um, because I I to me I think as long as you're somewhere in the top 50 or 60 of the RPI, it really doesn't matter if you're 12th or 29th. Um, because I don't think seating matters as much as it used to. I think the teams are so much closer together that you don't get that much more of a break being a fourth seed or a sixth or seventh seed that you did when we were kids, uh, Todd. The, the rankings I do like are the Ken Pomeroy rankings, uh, KenPom.com. The reason why I like his rankings is it's an analytic. It's a sabermetric. Is he looks at, you know, the RPI, all it does, which stands for Ratings Percentage Index for people who aren't sports fans, what it stands for, what, it, what the formula is, is it ranks how good the teams were that you played and how good the teams were that the teams you played played. So it's a strength of schedule ranking, and it's, and it's heavily, it's doubly weighted for games you played away from home. So when you beat teams away from home in a neutral site or at their gym, you get more points in the schedule metric, which is, I think, a good metric. 
What I like about Ken Palm, though, is what he measures is what you do in those games when you played them. It's like he'll measure how many points you allowed per possession, how many points you scored per possession. Okay, And so that's why I would like to see college basketball actually merge these two. I wouldn't go, you know, I know there's, they're, they're thinking about some kind of BCS amalgamation, which is brew. I wouldn't repeat that. I would take the Ken Pomeroy rankings, which a lot of coaches subscribe to, and the RPI. I'd merge it into one metric because the RPI, I think, has done a pretty good job measuring your strength of schedule for, since 1993 when they introduced it. But I like that Ken Palm actually puts some meat on the bone, shows, hey, here's what you actually did, how you performed, though, against those teams. I don't think we need seven or eight formulas. I would just take those two, put them together, I'll buy. I think oh, so that was my long-winded way of saying sell. So, the, But the question was, they won't make it? They won't make it. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy. When Gonzaga is your number one team. That, two, two private schools and then two schools from the Big 12. That's telling, you know, they would lose multiple games right now in any other conference. Not, and they're not buying Gonzaga. They never make it. Big 12 always flames out in the NCAA tournament. That's why I'm selling. You're listening to Steve Dace. not saying that God is on our side. We're just trying to get on his. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here to wrap it up tonight on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. I want to thank Dr. Michael Brown, Ben Shapiro for joining us earlier this evening. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground here tonight. Uh, it seems like it was ages ago that we opened up the show pleading with Donald Trump to start firing people. Uh, somebody, somebody fire, just fire somebody, please. Uh, but uh, let's let's talk about what we did learn here this evening. Todd, I'll start with you. What did you learn? Well, I learned that the pregnant pause that you had after Aaron asked about whether Trump will make it. You know, and we do a lot of things. We'd probably ask that question just for, for fun uh, and have some giggles. It's it, But the level of sobriety that we have to take that question into account right now it is remarkable. Uh, it it there's not there's no punchline behind that at all. It it it's deadly no. serious, and this it's a sign that this culture, and our the, the politics currently behind the greatest uh, system of self government ever devised, um, we are redlining folks. And so I, I go back again. It's not that that's just not there. There is theater on this show. and We have a lot of fun. But that's, uh, as you said yesterday on Facebook as well. You know, we're in this moment now where a lot of our instincts and these are particularly how long you've done this, Steve. Your instincts are pretty well honed on what politics is about. But really, we, we are in truly untested waters here. We. Go ahead, Aaron. We are in the danger zone. Uh, there's, there's no question about that in my mind. And I, I was, I, I was hesitant. To, I, I'm always hesitant. I, this is just my nature, and maybe it's just my youthful exuberance, and uh, that I always want to give people the benefit of the doubt for as long as I possibly can. But all of these stories coming at the Trump uh, administration, and it's not just, it's not the stories. It's not the way the media is. That's baked into the cake. 
It's just the utter ineptitude at, in which these all of these situations are handled. Just the total ineptitude from somebody who we all thought, well, somebody who the people who uh, were his most ardent supporters th- saw him as a strong man. He's not strong. At least he's not showing that. And if he doesn't show that soon, it doesn't matter if he shows that for three out of the four years that he's in uh, that he's in the Oval Office. Because what do you say, Steve? You can't come back from becoming a parody. And once you become, once you go there, you, you can't come back. You know, I think back to almost 20 years. It is 20 years ago now when the Clinton White House was bogged down in legitimate scandal. And we were very frustrated as conservatives because we wanted to have this conversation about the character and integrity of the office of the presidency every night. And Bill Clinton would go out there in the Roosevelt Room, pound the lectern. He might give a video statement a few weeks later and say it's nobody's business but ours. And then just shamelessly go about governing like nothing was happening, making major decisions. And in the end, the American people, though, rewarded him for it. And they said, you know what? In the end, we think you're a total canoe. But but I, I just want my job. I want to I want I want to take care of my family. And and Trump needs to tie into some of that. He doesn't have to chase every single rabbit trail. Govern the country. John three seventeen. You're listening to Steve Dace. 